All right, y'all, we are back for a very special episode with one of my favorite people, someone I just met, a incredible and an incredible woman named Emily Fletcher. And I got to meet Emily uh, with a few of my friends um, who are also going to be on the podcast coming up here shortly to discuss a very cool sound table they are creating that does much more than sound. Um teaser trailer but back to emily emily is somebody that i met about a year ago she was on aubrey's podcast and uh is an expert in meditation and i was like oh cool that'd be cool to have you on and for whatever reason things didn't work out we didn't get on on the podcast then and i found out uh from one of our mutual friends that she was going to be in town and she was actually going to do a workshop one of her more accelerated workshops where it'd be a bit more uh, intensive, but we would get the uh, full gamut of all of her wealth and knowledge when it comes to meditation, how she learned, who she learned from, all of the tips and tricks that go into this. And for most people right now thinking about meditation, like, oh, I got this or yeah, I've tried it, but uh, I don't really get it. I got my hand raised to both of those. I've tried just about everything under the sun from different forms of breath work, mindfulness, uh, apps and devices and technology and all sorts of cool shit that works for a little bit. And then for whatever reason, just doesn't stick. And as I went through this with Emily, I, I noticed a, a hell of a lot of changes. I was like, holy shit, I feel like I'm learning how to surrender. There was, there was many things that kind of brought me back to the feeling that I had in my first ayahuasca journey. And I will, I will say this, and then I'll get to the ads and let Emily take it away. But um, this tool, this form of meditation, I would put as significant a tool as my first ayahuasca session. Obviously not as visual, not as purgative, but in every other way, just the same. Uh, there is a squeezing that takes place. She talks about a detox, a release of emotions, um, all sorts of shit, stuff that I would never even think of uh, being on my radar from the act of meditating. And of course, you know, as we get into in the podcast, meditation is a very, very large umbrella. Um, but needless to say, uh, this is one of the most important tools that I've ever learned. And what's great about this podcast is that Emily dives really deep into a lot of what she taught me in the workshop. So you guys are going to get that all for free. And she's also running $100 off for the entire month for her online course. So no need to worry about COVID. Y'all can uh, find out more and I'll link to her website in the show notes with the uh, link for the discount. So Hope you guys enjoy this one as much as I did. Emily is absolutely incredible. And um, this was a fantastic three days that I got to spend with her. And it's been an even more fantastic every single day that I meditate with this style, the Ziva meditation. And as always, there's a number of ways y'all can support this podcast. First and foremost, click subscribe so you never miss an episode. Number two, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show has helped you out in life, and that will get people to tune in to the show that have not heard of it before. And last but not least, check out our show sponsors because they make this show absolutely possible. Without them, there is no show. All right. According to American Psychological Association, chronic stress is linked to the six leading causes of death. Stress has been implicated in heart tissues, inflammation, obesity, mental illness, and more. Most people think of stress as caused by things like work, traffic, tense relationships, 
And of course, that's true. And they focus on solutions like meditation. Here we go. You're going to get that in this podcast. Or they go to the spa. They do a little little spa day, a little take care of me day, and so on. But what if the root of so much stress we experience comes down to a deficiency of one overlooked nutrient? That nutrient is magnesium. Magnesium is the body's master mineral, powerful for over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy, stress, even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. If there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough of, it's magnesium. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about a new magnesium product called Magnesium Breakthrough. It is the ultimate magnesium supplement, easily the best I've ever seen or experienced with all seven forms of this mineral. And the Cal Kingsbury podcast was able to arrange for some stock to be set aside just for this audience. And I guarantee it's the best deal available on this product. Seriously, with volume discounts combined with our custom 10% coupon code KINGSBOO10, you could save up to 40% off select packages of Magnesium Breakthrough. That's an amazing value you're not going to find anywhere else. And this deal with bioptimizers.com slash KINGSBOO is the only place you're going to get it. You're not going to find that on Amazon or even the company's own website. So check it out. That's www.bioptimizers.com slash KINGSBOO and use code word KINGSBOO10, all caps, at checkout. You can save up to 40% on this absolute must-have. We are also brought to you by Dream. Dream is by a company called Sovereignty that's one of my absolute favorite companies on the planet right now. They make two of my favorite supplements. Purpose, which you've heard me talk about, is my favorite nootropic slash energy drink. It's got a bit of caffeine in it. It's got a lot of nootropics, and it's also got CGN, a cannabinoid found to increase your ability to think more clearly, to have memory recall and language and all the good stuff that we want from nootropics. Now we flip the scales and we say, okay, great. I've been wound up. I've done the day. Now I need to wind down. And this is where dream comes in. It is absolutely essential for the best night of sleep you've ever had in your life. It's got a bit of melatonin. It has a number of other adaptogenic herbs similar to purpose And like CGN, the inverse of that is CBN. And this is yet another cannabinoid. And it's also shown to help with restfulness and deeper sleep. And this thing works like nothing else. And in fact, just like with Purpose, what they're going to do with Dream for My Listeners is the best money back guarantee of all time. Many of you know this. They will give you 100% of your money back. And in addition, buy you your favorite sleep supplement. I'm going to repeat that. If you don't like this, you get all of your money back and the sleep supplement of your choice. And that's only going to work if you use my link. So remember, this is a long one, but you can click it in the show notes. It's HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O slash Kyle. And you can grab my favorite nighttime remedy, Dream. That's Sovereignty.co slash Kyle. So make sure you punch that in. And then if you don't like it, You can get all your cheese back and your favorite sleep cocktail that you like a little bit better than this one. But I'm promising you right now, you will not be let down with Dream. We are also brought to you by Element. Element is my buddy and uh, one of the people I've learned from quite a bit, Rob Wolf. He's been a guest on this podcast. It is his company, which he designed out of necessity. Uh, As many great companies are born, 
It is the single greatest electrolyte product I've ever taken. These guys come in ready-to-drink packets that you just mix into your water bottle. They have a high dose of sodium, which is absolutely critical for athletes, people who bust their ass at work, bust their ass in the gym, people who have kids, anyone who's not getting enough electrolytes in their diet. They also have 60 milligrams of magnesium and a number of other really critical nutrients found in this. There's nothing artificial, nothing nasty. They're 100% keto. There's no added sugar or other shit that you're going to find in different products like Gatorade and whatnot. I'm not even sure if I can compare this to other products, but we'll roll with that. It's a podcast. I'm not a daytime TV show. So back to Element. It is hands down one of the most important supplements you can take for energy and for sustained activity, whether that's working out or whether that's crunching numbers at your desk or presenting to people or jumping on a podcast, you want to have the most out of your muscles and your brain and you need electrolytes to do that. Gerald Pollack talked about this in the fourth phase of water. Our water that comes into our body is not necessarily going to hydrate us unless it is water that we take into the cell and we absolutely need electrolytes to do that. And you're going to find a number of things. This helps not only endurance athletes, but really anybody who sweats. Electrolytes help curb carb cravings. Let me repeat that. They help to curb carb cravings. So if you're like me and you go hog wild on Thanksgiving and Christmas and you really want to be clean and tight around those holidays, this is a great thing to supplement with on a daily basis. I start the day with this and I finish the day with this. And anytime I work out, it's in my intra workout. That is intra. That's your, not your pre-workout or your post-workout. Your intra is during. Uh, But you can check all this out. Rob Wolf is just phenomenal. I mean, everybody and their mom has taken this product and loved it. But if you go to drinklmnt.com slash Kyle, they too are doing 100% back money back guarantee. That is drinklmnt.com slash Kyle, and you will not be disappointed. Last but not least, we are brought to you by Lucy.co. Lucy.co is making nicotine gum. And you know what? I first heard, coincidentally, Rob Wolf talk about this with Ben Greenfield on one of their two podcasts. And they were talking to, I think Rob had to present to the Navy SEALs or some higher ups in the military on the issues found in nicotine. And what he found was nicotine in and of itself was non-toxic. It was absolutely not a problem. And so what were the best ways to utilize nicotine? This is what the conversation went to. If they're going to do it, and a lot of the men and women in armed forces do it, then what was the best way to do it? Obviously, smoking cigarettes is absolute crap. That is not the move. But what they found was nicotine gum was one of the healthiest, safest, and amazing ways you could take on this incredible nootropic. And Lucy.co has a number of flavors. They have lozenges. They've got all sorts of ways that you can get this incredible nootropic in. All nootropics are trying to increase acetylcholine in the brain. It's a neurochemical that is responsible for all the things we really want more. We want more ability to recall the things that we need to recall. We want to ingrain the things that we're learning, and we want to have access when we're speaking about it. And acetylcholine does that. The beautiful thing that nature did for us is it made something called nicotine, which fits right in like a master key into these acetylcholine receptors in the brain. And chewing gum is one of the easiest ways you can get this into your body without screwing up your lungs or ruining your health. You can take this in, you can get the spark that you need. It stacks very well with caffeine and other nootropics. And in addition to that, you can do it anywhere. You can do it on a plane. You can do it in the gym. You can chew it around the wife and your kids, and you don't have to worry about hurting yourself or other people. You get the benefits with none of the issues. Head over to lucy.co 
and use code word KKP at checkout and you're going to get 20% off. That's a whopping 20% off your entire order over at luc.co and you're going to get all that good stuff. Lucy.co, KKP, 20% off. I love you guys. And let me welcome the amazing Emily Fletcher to the podcast. All right, we're ready. Emily <laughs> Fletcher, thank you for coming on the podcast. Kyle, I'm really happy to be here. Hell yeah. Hell so we yeah. just we just finished a crash course, three-day uh, seminar working with you with Ziva Meditation. Mm-hmm. And these are normally five days, correct? Well, intro talk plus four-day course. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we did get the crash course and I want to dive into all of that. But first... I want to learn about you. And I got to learn a little bit about you in the intro video, which I will link to in the show notes if it's cool for everyone to watch. Yeah. Because it's awesome. And um, yeah, it's funny. I was dragging my heels to that. Like, I want to fucking watch After this thing. I was like 20, yeah, 27 <laughs> minutes. And so I watched 22. it like the, 22. I watched <laughs> it on the day of. And I was like, this is really good. This is awesome. Thank it you. was awesome. Like I was glued to it. I didn't want it to end. Thank you. And um not blown smoke. Like it was super informative and gave me, it, it, it was like the appetizer. That was a thing where I was like, oh, wow, this is going to happen. Okay, cool. This a is going to happen. Bush. Uh-huh. Yep. It got me going. So, but, um, tell us about your life. What drew you to India? What drew you to understand this? And what was life like prior to that? Mm. So I was on Broadway for 10 years. So I've always been into performance. I mean, it's not fighting, but you still, I mean, it's eight shows a week, six days a week. You have one day off and you're doing PT that day. So you really have to be optimized physically, emotionally, vocally. Because you know, if, you, if anything's going on in your body, your voice will show it. If you're nervous, it shows up in your voice. If you're sick, it shows up in your voice. And it's such a psychological game, singing. And so even more than dancing, for me, singing was like, oh, I have to be on my game, specifically emotionally. And I did an okay job of it. I mean, I worked nonstop for 10 years on Broadway, which is its own feat, but it had its cost. And my last Broadway show was a chorus line. I was understudying three of the lead roles, which means you have no idea which character you're going to play. That led to extreme nervousness and anxiety. I had insomnia for 18 months. I could not sleep through the night. So then to sing and dance with no sleep is again, like another performance thing you got to figure out. Long story short, I found meditation. It cured my insomnia on the first day of the first class. I stopped going gray. I'm 41 now. I don't really have gray hair. I was 27 when I started going gray. I didn't get sick for eight and a half years. I started enjoying my job again. And so finally I was like, why does everybody not do this? Left Broadway, went to India, started what became a three-year training process to teach. And then since graduating, I've taught 40,000 people to meditate, which I'm very proud of. And book. My book came out last year and it's been translated into 14 languages. Oh, wow. And that feels exciting because, you know, it's so popular. It's almost like passe in the U.S. meditation. Everyone thinks they're meditating. Everyone thinks they know what it is, even though they really don't. Um, But in these languages where the book is being translated, I think in some civilizations and cultures, it's quite new. So that feels exciting to me. Hell yeah. And yeah, mm-hmm. to be clear, like meditation, I've talked about on this podcast a number of times. I've talked about different forms of meditation, which might fit under that umbrella loosely. That's called meditation. Um, and and you've given so many examples, but I mean, just like just the 
one example of Kundalini as the energy is rising. Like mm-hmm. you're going to let that energy rise to the top from the ground to the top versus in Ziva, you're going to take that from the top down. Mm-hmm. Like you're anchoring a seed into the earth. Like that was such a great visual. And that's exactly what my experience has been. And that's really what I want. I have no trouble getting jacked up. I have no trouble getting energy on high for a podcast for my son. When I get off work, even though if I'm going to be dragging ass on my drive home, but I got to meet him where he's at, right? So like, I'm gonna I'm gonna gear up for that. That's never been an issue for me. Calming down has been an issue for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny you mentioned the gray because I started losing my hair and getting white in my beard the moment we had bear. Wow. At 33, and I was like, oh, this is this is be- okay. Wow. Do you think it was sleep deprivation? Without question. Yeah. Without question. Yeah. And, but that's just persisted, you know, even in between, I think mm-hmm. from general stress mm. and we'll talk about stress, but um, talk about your time in India and talk about the lineage of the meditation masters that you sought out. Mm-hmm. So I did not, I was not in India for the full three years. I'm not that hardcore. My training was very hardcore, but it just wasn't in India the whole time. It was transcribing books by hand in Sanskrit. It was thousands of hours of apprenticing. It was about 18 hours a week of meditation. So many hours a day, not just of meditation, but this thing where it's like gentle asana practice into pranayama, into meditation, into a lie down. And when you do that in a row, you do them consecutively. It's just de-exciting, de-exciting, de-exciting. And you are just slowing down your whole nervous system. And the point of that massive amount of meditation is just to heal your own nervous system. Because nobody wants to learn meditation from a stressed out, angry person. (laughs) So it's like, you got to clean your own house if you're going to raise your hand and say, hey, I want to teach this. Um, This particular lineage, it's born out of Northern India, like now geographically it would be Pakistan. Um, So Ziva is its own thing, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but the meditation portion of Ziva is based on something called Nishkam Karma Yoga, which means union attained by action hardly taken. Lazy man's meditation, which I think you're talking about that de-excitation. It's like a seed going down, grounding you, which is different than like a Wim Hof breathing technique or a Kundalini or a holotropic breathing, which are all awesome. They're just different tools for different things, right? Like to excite or to unblock energetic channels in the body, beautiful tools. Ziva to me is more like the mother scale. It's like you reminding yourself that you are God pretending to be human. It's you reminding yourself that you are not exclusively this body. It is accessing that pure energetic source internally. And that to me, if you're doing that every day, twice a day, it's going to impact everything else in your body, every cell, every decision, every interaction. And so that's the lineage. Based on Nishkam Karma Yoga, it's also a Sarasvati lineage, which is a feminine lineage. Sarasvati is the goddess who is representative of um, music and knowledge. Um, also, this is a bit of a tangent, but this this lineage, it comes out of the Vedas, V-E-D-A, Sanskrit word that means knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of nature. And so all the Vedas are a human interpretation of natural law. It's not a doctrine. It's not a dogma. It's not a religion. It's not a polytheistic religion where you're like worshiping lots of deities outside of you. Like all of that is us sort of misinterpreting through our Judeo-Christian Western lens, something that is not meant to be a doctrine or a doctrine. I should burn my Ganesh doll that's on the altar then? No, you don't have to burn it. (laughs) Just know that Ganesh specifically is representative of the remover of obstacles, but there is a remover of obstacles inside of you. Mm -hmm. And Lakshmi, who's like the goddess of abundance, as people call her, she's not like, you're not praying to the goddess of money. She's representative of the piece of you that has access to abundance already. 
Shiv is not the god of destruction. He's representative of the piece of you that destroys irrelevancy. And so the whole, the fundamental principle of the Vedas is that there's only one thing and we're all it. And that one thing is consciousness. So these different anthropomorphized characters are just ways to humanize different elements of ourselves. Mm. And it's easier to, like, say you were going to talk to Bear about the, the idea of creation, maintenance, and destruction, right? Which is one of the big concepts we talked about this weekend. It's, it's easier to talk to a kid about Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, about three characters, and like Brahma really likes to create, and Vishnu really likes to maintain, and Shiva really likes to destroy. It's easier to tell a story about three dudes than it is to like introduce abstract concepts to children. Yeah. And that's really the only reason why we anthropomorphize these. We, like I was around 6,000 years ago. I mean, maybe I was, but <laughs> <laughs> not this been, body. That might be long enough. <laughs> yeah. The uh, story is is the ultimate way of passing information down. It's what's carried through every lineage and, and most places where they can write still carry things through story. Um, you know, I think you talked about this in Puja, you know, so we can, maybe, maybe we jump into that. I'm going to be all over the place because I, I work in <laughs> loops, but um, the idea that through apprenticing and human carrying the human knowledge of, of the wisdom from one generation to the next is more important than putting it in a book and then having that trying to be extracted from the book. Well, again, according to the Vedas, like knowledge is meant for action and knowledge is meant to be, to flow through the teacher and speak to the state of consciousness of the people listening, right? So every time, like right before we started, I just closed my eyes and I tried to tune in to open up my heart and imagine this information, this conversation, our interaction going into the hearts and minds of everyone who's listening in the now and in the future. And, you know, you could even argue the past, but that gets a little esoteric. (laughs) Um, But meaning that if I were to speak, like I'm about to come out with Ziva kids, right? So if I was teaching 200 kids, the knowledge that would flow through me would be different than if I was teaching 200 PhD scholars. Like you always teach to the room. It's the first rule of acting, know your audience. And the same rule applies with the Vedas is that the, the knowledge will be dictated to speak to the state of consciousness of the people listening, right? That it's not like a set rules. It's not like, oh, the Vedas are this set book of knowledge that's never changeable. It's like, no, it's natural law and it's going to flow through people to people. I'm doing a great job of explaining that right now. No, I like that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. The lowest common denominator. Um, All right, it's on my brain. Tell me about Hanuman and then we can move on from the different gods. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, I don't know too much about Hanuman. He's like the monkey, you know, he's represented Mm -hmm. as a monkey. I think he's represented like play and mischief. Okay. Um, But I don't, to be honest, I've... I don't remember. He's kind of like the about. trickster, coyote, yeah. and Native American. Okay. Yeah, like the play. Um, yeah, just like let's remember to play and a little bit of like mischievous. Okay, you know? I've been drawn to him for a while. And Aubrey's got you know in Sedona a giant Hanuman statue in one of the rooms that I slept in last, and I was like, I want to connect with this dude. Okay. But it's funny because I'm already I'm already connected to that. To yeah. The Native American I mean, I culture. feel that in you where yeah. you're just like you are playful and a little yeah. mischievous. So and I, I get that. I get yeah. that a lot in medicine journeys where that's revealed to me anytime I've been off track where it's like, you know, super responsible and all work. And this is what I'm building and uh, everything's serious. And it's like, don't fucking forget to play, you know, yeah, like, like, that's the whole reason that we're here. <laughs> yeah. The expansion of happiness and fun 
And it takes a real level of mastery to be able to play because if you're not in mastery of your own energy, if you're not in mastery of your own consciousness, then chances are you are going to get mired down in the doing, doing, doing the structure and the, the what I call the I'll be happy when syndrome. Mm-hmm. If I just work so hard and suffer now, then I will have this imaginary perceived payoff in the future, which most people are so sick with the I'll be happy when syndrome. And so to have the luxury or the privilege of play is sometimes a return on investment of the work that you've done to master your own state of consciousness and energy previously. And then if you're in a state of play, that's when, I mean, it's like Burning Man, right? It's like the best brainstorming meetings. It's like, it's not just play for the sake of play. When you're in that state of play, when you're in that state of creativity, you are opening up the portals for creativity to use you as a vessel. And so you're, yes, downloading things that nature wants to cognize through you and you're inspiring other people to play as well. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's from my experience there for sure. (laughs) Let's unpack that um, creation... Maintenance. Uh, destruction, maintenance, destruction. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite concepts from the Vedas. And it, it's such, it, to me, it's a more valuable and enjoyable lens to look through life versus just good and bad, right and wrong, white and black, red and blue, right? One or the other. Um, so that's what most of us have been trained in. You know, there's heaven and hell, good guys, bad guys. Every movie, most of the religions we've been exposed to, it's like right and wrong. And then you get this idea of judgment, better, best, worst. And so everything is a scale. Everything becomes hierarchical versus this system. According to the Vedas, there's no such thing as good or bad. There's no such thing as right or wrong. There is only creation, maintenance, and destruction. And this is a fascinating lens to me, creation, maintenance, and destruction. If you leave with creation, maintenance is naturally in second place and destruction is naturally in third. And we need all three. They're all part of nature. They're all relevant at certain times, but leading with creation, meaning that I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to innovate, whatever that means for me. I'm going to redecorate my house. I'm going to get pregnant. I'm going to start a company. I'm going to write that chapter. I'm going to finger paint with my kid, like whatever creation, I'm going to move something from the unmanifest into the manifest, which is my definition of creation. It doesn't have to be artistic. But if you do that, the maintenance is naturally in second place, destruction is in third. Where we humans mess it up is that we leave with creation, we like the results of our creation, and then we immediately try to maintain. We try to hold on. Let me just save that money. Let me just protect that IP. Let me just keep this relationship. I like you and you like me, so you just stay the same and I'll stay the same and we'll just stay together forever and ever and ever and then they break up with you, right? Or you start working out a little bit. You're like, oh yeah, I'm feeling strong. Got my goal weight. Now I'm just going to maintain. And the next thing you know, you're just weaker than when you started. If you're not continually pushing the barrier, continually evolving, then you are accidentally leading with maintenance. When we do that, then destruction is nipping at our heels, right? If you're leading with maintenance, which feels safe, it's not. Leading with maintenance is the most dangerous place there is because you are waving the flag of irrelevancy for destruction to come through and clean house because nature likes creation. We're in the middle of an 18 billion year expansion cycle in our universe right now. So the name of the game is expand, evolve, create. If you do that, you get more of nature's support, that serendipity, that flow, that just, oh, I thought about the person and they called. If we leave with maintenance, we're going to start noticing destruction nipping at our heels, right? And then when destruction leads into first place, it's not bad, but it's not elegant. And (laughs) and if people are listening to this podcast, they don't want to be destruction operators in the world. We need them, but we don't need everyone to be them right? Because right behind destruction is creation. Forest fire comes through. What's next? New undergrowth. So instead of judge, so this is a bit of a homework assignment for people. I would challenge people to say this week, how many times do I judge something that's good or bad? Oh, it's sunny today. Weather's good. Stock market went up. It's so, so good. 
stock market went down. It's so, so bad. It's raining. The weather's bad today. It's like the weather changes. That's his job. Stock market goes up and down. That's his job. We don't know if it's good or bad. We don't have all the information. We're not God. We can move towards God. We can expand our state of consciousness, but we ain't God. Nature has more information than we do. So who are we to judge if it's good or bad? Generally, what happens is the wider you pull your lens out, the more you can start to see those patterns. So I would say a more relevant question versus is this good or bad is where am I leading with creation? Where am I leading with maintenance? And where has destruction come through to clean house? Yeah, and when destruction's at the forefront, it's it's uh, abrupt. The only constant is change. So whether that's leading with creation and diving into the things that we wish to create, or whether that's destruction making way for creation, it's there's always change. There's always birth, death, and everything in between. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about that too. But I hadn't worded it. I hadn't thought about it in that way. One of my favorite quotes from Rumi, which I say on fucking every other podcast, is there is a field outside of right and wrong, just past good and bad. I'll meet you there. Yes. And and this concept of creation, maintenance, destruction totally expands upon that. Beyond the As, field of right doing and wrong doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. So good. I had some journey. I don't remember what kind it was, but that quote was just on repeat again and again and again and again. And I still don't even really know why. Like, I don't know why that just, I mean, just for hours it was there. And I love that that's a thing for you. What do you I, think it means? I think it's how we alchemize polarity. And and I know I rec- just recommended this to you. I just podcasted with JP Sears and recommended it for the first time on the podcast, but the show Initiation on Gaia. In the first nine or through the nine dimensions, the second one it goes unity, polarity, or duality, and then trinity, four pillars of consciousness, fifth dimension, which is awesome. And then sixth dimension, once the fifth dimension is created with ascended masters, Buddha consciousness, Christ consciousness, the natural law is to give the variance of that or the equal and opposite, which sixth dimension would be what we would consider darkness or evil. But that actually doesn't exist. And he explains this much better than I do, but this is where the architects come in because we're all beings of light. And if we stood in a room that was as bright as the sun, we wouldn't, we'd wouldn't. we have no contrast. There's no shading. We wouldn't see ourselves or anyone else. So how do we come to know thyself? It's with the contrast of the darkness. Mm. But the darkness isn't inherently dark for the sake of evil or you know the cartoon character curling his mustache. <laughs> like it's none of that. It's simply so we can see our light, see the light in others, shine that light. And again, know thyself more than anything else. Mm. It's a way to realize. Well, I love what you were saying to me during the course is that idea that you can't see your shadow when you're in it. You have to look at your shadow from behind, you know? And so it's, to me, it's like sometimes when we're in it because of our ego, we want to perceive ourselves as pure light, pure good. We're the hero of our own story. So it's almost impossible to see your own shadow in the now. So you have to look at your past. But Alan Watts has an amazing lecture in Your It. Have you ever listened to Your It on Audible? It's 14 uh, so. hours of his live lectures. It is some of the most profound teaching I have ever come across. I highly recommend it. It's on Audible. One credit on Audible. It's brilliant. And he does a whole thing on this where he's like, if it's just white, just pure white, you can't see that it's white. He puts a black dot on the, on the whiteboard or whatever. And like, now you can see that it's white. Same thing. If it's pure black, you don't know that it's blackness. You have to have the white dot. That's why the yin and the yang have the white dot and the black dot in the middle of the whiteness and blackness. So it's like, yeah, it's not evil for the sake of being evil. It's there for contrast. Also God, and there's a quote in Herman Hesse's Damien, um, you know, Herman Hesse wrote Siddhartha, his lesser known book is Damien. And the quote, the inscription in the book is, is um, 
something along the lines of the best spiritualists oftentimes started as hedonists. And the whole premise of the book is that there is no, that God is not only God of light, God's God of all of it. Yeah. It's everything. And and that's to me that that represents alchemy, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do I, how do I take that in balance and understand it differently? It's all, everything's perspective, right? Like how am I viewing this? And um, it doesn't mean there isn't shit to change in the world through our unique perspective as we, we, start to become the architects and co-creators of our life design, that's that's still there and that should be there, right? That's what gives us our own free will and everything in between. But um, to understand it differently is to not take it as, you know, this is, there's so much wrong and blah, 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 you know, and, 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 and to really just view that differently. The alchemy, the alchemy of that um, concept for me is again, to move back into the oneness and when we're in unity consciousness or the monad, um, I've only experienced that a few times once on a ketamine journey with MDMA recently and all the rest in your Ziva meditations. So yes. I was like, like all right, Ziva, ketamine without the drugs. <laughs> exactly. And, and, but what's, but what's the, the missing ingredient, you know, and I, I think I was telling this to Austin, um, you know, I've had ayahuasca journeys three in a row that told me to do yoga and meditation. And on the third one, I was like, this, these were months apart. They weren't like three nights back to back. And on the third month in a row, I was like, all right, why do you keep telling me this? I want new information. And <laughs> I don't like I, this message. <laughs> I, was, I was like, you keep fucking saying the same thing. I want the new stuff. And it was very firm. You will get new information when you start practicing. And I was like, oh shit, I'm sorry. Okay. And so I limped into different yoga practices. I think I did Bikram for a while. And then we found Breathe Los Gatos with Jen Pru, which was awesome. Really started to help me learn yoga. But meditation along the way, I tried everything and would, as I mentioned to you, sometimes touch on it just like in fighting sometimes i fought in flow and the whole fucking thing slowed down like neo in the matrix and i never understood the steps necessary to get back to that most of the time i was in pure panic mode when i fought and um most meditations i've i've had you know just a all right i'm supposed to do this now so i'm gonna do it sure i gotta clear my mind yeah and and you know, I, I would, with a focus, and I want to dive into this, obviously, with some of the, the core differences between what you teach and what I've learned. Um, I love the book, The Science of Mindfulness by Ronald Siegel. It's one of the great courses on Audible. Mm. And he talks about a lot of these benefits that you talk about in the intro video. And so that's been a draw for me because who wouldn't want all those things, better performance, better, uh, sex. you know, better sex, better sleep, better mind body connection, better immune, immune system. Yeah. And so getting into that, I was like, cool, let's try that. But it always started with a focal point, like either focusing on a candle flame or focusing on my breath, the feeling of it coming in and out and then doing, you know, Wim Hof breathing and things like that or holotropic breath work. It was easier for me in a sense because I was able to push and focus on that push, but that still, even though it was uh, flooding my neurochemistry and making me feel better, it wasn't the same as shifting gears down all the way down into this slow crawl and everything that comes from that, which I want to dive into. Um, Huge, just vast differences there. So 
Can you unpack some of the main differences from that umbrella of what we've come to understand meditation in the West versus what you've learned and what you teach? Sure. Happy to. First, I would like to hear like how you're feeling and how you're doing. We're really you're four days in now. Yeah. Of the practice. Um, I have, and even though it's not the point, I've touched the bliss field uh-huh. many more times than expected. Uh-huh. And, and, even and just the bliss I, I guess, field, I would define as like a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. So you're, you're accessing a state of consciousness different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming. And you're four days into your meditation career, right? Like it doesn't take months and months or years and years to master. It happened on day, it happened the very first time we meditated. Yeah. And then it was funny because I was like, all right, set and setting. Uh, maybe I'm going to have to do this at Austin and Adam's crib each time. And I'm going to need this spot on the couch. And Emily's going to have to be in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Fly Emily from New York every yeah. time I'm going to meditate. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and we'll, we'll unpack why that's not the purpose behind it, but, um, you know, getting into those States has been great. And then as you mentioned, you know, it is a detox and I, the first time you said it, I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not, I've, I've learned enough from plant medicines to not just shit it out. And because of my felt experience, I'm all ears for you. And I did have a beginner's mind. Um, but yeah, it's been a fucking super hard detox. Like mm-hmm. I, there was, an, as I told you, I think day two, I had a beautiful meditation with you guys. It was actually incredibly peaceful and and I felt amazing and I had energy afterwards. And then I had a fucking, just a well of anger. Yeah. The whole rest of the day until I went to bed, I was fucking pissed off. Yeah, And it was like, I've and again, I've learned enough from the, from, past medicine experiences, not to stuff that down, to actually allow that. Mm-hmm. And then to pause before I communicate with my son or anybody else <laughs> that I might want to fucking chew their head off. And and that was challenging and hard. And I was like, oh, it was almost like um, in The Alchemist, you know, he says, uh, when a person sets out on their journey, the whole of the universe conspires on their behalf. And then when they when they come to the final point of, of their their path in life, they will be tested on everything they've learned. And so it felt like, oh, here comes the full challenge. And obviously I'm not, I haven't made it to the full path yet. But um, what I was telling Austin is that this has been a key missing ingredient in all of the medicine work that I've done, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, I've opened my body with yoga and I've, I've done the ice baths and all these other things that ground me and bring me back into 3d reality. So I'm not just a floating head in space talking about ayahuasca every other day and, or this dope vision I had or any of that stuff, but like, how does that change my life? Right. Um, one thing it hasn't done is it doesn't remove stress. It will illuminate what, and show me plant medicine. Plant medicine. Mm. It will illuminate and show me where my stresses are, and maybe some different options on how to move into a better reality. Uh, what I want to call in, you know, like okay, these are the things I have as an intention. Reveal these things, but it's up to me to heal that. It's up to me to process that. And I've never really had a a great means for doing so until now. And that's I, I feel like I've been given the fucking key to the city right now. Yes. And I've, yes. I've had neck pain, you know, old injuries that would flare up from shitty diet or a night drinking with friends, like my knees and my neck, which has been broken, all this stuff. And when quarantine hit, it felt like all the injuries were back. And I was like, that's weird. I'm eating super clean. I haven't been going out. None of it added up. And then as we began to talk about stress, I realized, you know, you, you talked about what you're preventing as you do work in the spiritual 
um, as opposed to doing work on the psychological, as opposed to doing work on the body. Mm -hmm. And you said what you're doing, if you access the spiritual, the clean house, is going to prevent that from showing up in psychology and it's going to prevent that from showing up as cancer or some disease, dis-ease in the body, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, right as you're saying that, the light bulb goes off, oh, it's in the body already. It's moved from the spiritual through the psychology and into my body. And yeah. this is the manifest level of stress. And that understanding was great for me because as I've meditated in four days, my neck has loosened up considerably and my knee doesn't hurt. I couldn't get into, into half uh, Lotus. Half Lotus. I couldn't get into half Lotus. I've torn my, my meniscus in my right knee three times. Just tore it like two months ago with bear jumping off of a, a cliff and the, wow. the water was shallow. And I can easily get into half lotus now. And I'm like, oh man, maybe in a few months I'll get back into full lotus. Like it's really cool to see these changes incredibly rapidly. So again, please take the floor. But my experience <laughs> has been fucking out of this world. Yes. Yeah. I'm so happy and of all the things you just said, which all make me so thrilled. Like this is why I do what I do. Like I get off on people being like, my knee is better. My neck that used to be hurting is not hurting anymore. I feel like this is the key to the kingdom. Like that's how I felt too. I was like, this is the key to the kingdom. Like this is the mother skill. It will make everything else better because it is, like you said, healing you on a cellular level. All that stress from the past that we've been accumulating, that stuff's already there. We bought, we have to deal with it. And as you're changing your state of consciousness in the now, it's going to change the way you process stress in the future. So it's like we can do all the other things and all the other tools are awesome and necessary. Yoga, breath work, ice baths, plant medicine, it's all great. But if you are not accessing your own fulfillment internally and handling the backlog of stresses, you are going to be handicapped. You're just not going to be able to perform as you could if you do this thing, if you handle your stress truly. So, okay. So your question originally, before I asked you how you were doing was delineate, like what's the difference between all these other techniques and Ziva, everything that's lumped into the giant bucket of meditation, right? Because people will be like, oh, Emily, you know, biking is my meditation or cooking is my meditation or Facebook is my meditation. I'm like, no, wrong answer. <laughs> Facebook is no one's meditation, especially not right now. Um, meditation is called meditation. And I would define it as a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. So different than waking, sleeping, or dreaming. So it's not like a guided thing on an app. It's not a guided thing on a YouTube video, which those are fine. I would just put, anytime someone's guiding you through, I would put that in the category of mindfulness, right? And so specifically the Ziva technique is a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting, or the three Ms. And I like those three buckets because it encapsulates almost all the practices. Mindfulness being, I would define it as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment, which is beautiful and necessary and so you could imagine your chakras, imagine a waterfall, like you could count your breaths, but anytime you're focusing, right? Like I'm going to direct my focus. My prefrontal cortex is engaged. I'm in my waking state. The type of meditation that I teach is all about surrendering. It's all about letting go. It's all about deep rest. So you're not focusing. It's not about engaging the mind. It's not about clearing the thoughts. So for anyone who has felt like a meditation failure, or like this sounds cool, I want some of what Kyle's having, but I can't clear my mind because my mind is too busy. I really want people to listen up right now because this is important. The mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So stopping the mind from thinking is not the point. No one cares if you're a good meditator. Everyone cares if you're good at life. And so with Ziva, you're giving your body rest that's about two to five times deeper than sleep. 
And that's not an insignificant point because when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And with this, you're not just healing your stress from today, which is what mindfulness does. You're actually getting rid of all your stress from the past. That's also really important because if all you're doing is dealing with your stress from today, which is what most of the apps and YouTube videos are doing, the guided stuff, people are like, yeah, I've tried it. It's cute. I don't really have time for that. The reason why people think that meditation is cute and like a bubble bath for your brain is that they're spending their time doing it. I spent 10 minutes on this app and I feel okay, feel better, but it's not like giving me hours back in my day. Not my sex is not extraordinarily better. My innovation is not markedly better. And the reason why Ziva gives you this massive ROI is it's not just handling the stress from today. It's going through and systemic, systematically getting rid of all that stuff in your body. And, and I would even argue the stuff that we've inherited in our epigenetics as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just this lifetime. It's the stuff that's coming in from before. Um, so there's the meditation portion. It feels kind of like a nap sitting up. It's it's very restful. It's very easy. It's it's for people like us. It's for people with busy minds and busy lives. Whereas most mindfulness practices as they're being taught today are derivations of monastic practices, meaning they were originally designed for monks. So even though Ziva is based on something that's 6,000 years old, it was made for people who live in life and have kids and have jobs and, and they actually have less time in their day with which to meditate. So if you're not a monk and you only have a few minutes in your day to meditate, you actually need a technique that is more powerful. Whereas a lot of people think whatever the monks are doing must be the most powerful. They must be vibrating or levitating, but it's the opposite. Monks are meditating all day so they can afford to do a practice that is gentler. They're their contribution to society is meditating all day. So they're laundering the collective through their practice versus for us as householders, you have less time. So you've got to dip in, access that divinity. And then through your commerce, through your relationships, through your families, you're accessing, you're just delivering that bliss and fulfillment. So the technique is actually more powerful and easier because you're not trying to put a square peg in a round hole. You're not trying to be a monk when you're not a monk. You're not trying to clear your mind when that's effing impossible. The reason why everyone thinks that meditation is hard is that they're trying to do monk practices when they're not monks. So there's my soapbox on that. Okay, so mindfulness, very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Meditation, very good at dealing with your stress in the past. And then the manifesting piece is really you consciously creating your dreams for the future. What do you want your life to look like? And a lot of us think we're manifesting. You know, that word's become kind of a buzzword. It's even like a little like passe now because it's like, oh, well, manifesting is privileged or manifesting is magical thinking. And yes, it is an effing privilege. But I would argue that if you have the privilege of manifesting, you better use it for yourself and for the world. Like get clear on what you need to be contributing. Get clear on how you can contribute your gifts to raise everybody up. And that takes conscious intent. You don't just wake up a morning and like magically discover your dream. You don't magically change the world by accident. That takes intentional conscious design. And that's all manifesting is. So the way I teach it is that you use this sacred time at the end of the meditation where the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning in unison. And here's the Cliff's Notes, you know, cheat sheet to manifesting. Ask the question, what would I love right now? That's it. What would I love right now? What would I love put you into spirit, put you into possibility? Not what do I want, which is lack and need and desire, but what I love what I love now, present moment awareness. Now, a lot of us think we're manifesting, but we're secretly complaining. Why can't I lose this weight? Why does she have a boyfriend and I don't? Why does he have more Instagram followers than I do? Why does he have more money than I do? It's like, well, if you ask terrible questions, you're going to get terrible answers. You ask a beautiful question, like, what would I love? Your brain's going to answer that for you, not only in the sitting, but throughout your whole day. 
Yeah, it's powerful. I just started the Neville Goddard book that you recommended that's only 40 minutes. What's the name of it again? Feeling is the secret. It's only 40 minutes. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. My boy, Jose, will do that. Um, and one of the things that he was talking about is, is a same concept that Joe Dispenza teaches really is that the felt experience is the thing that maps the subconscious. And that is our tool to bring things into reality. So we actually have to feel it as if it is so. And Paul Check taught me this a long time ago, the echo test. If you stood at the Grand Canyon and you said, I want to lose 20 pounds and feel great, what well, echoes back? I want to lose 20 pounds and feel great. The wanting keeps it out in front of you uh-huh. like a carrot in front of the horse's mouth. Mm-hmm. So we say it, as Jesus taught, as if it is already so. That's how we bring it in. But it's not just the affirmation of that thing. It is actually dreaming it and feeling it and visualizing it. But it more than anything that you see in your mind's eye, it is actually feeling into that experience mm-hmm. and feeling freedom, feeling community, feeling, and I'm naming things that, I, that I've been calling in for myself. You know, we just had Joyous Heart on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we're building a community together where we're going to have all of our own food, our own power, our own water, our own community? everything. Yep. Out here, uh, about 50 minutes from here, 45 minutes from here near Lake Travis. And it's incredible. Regenerative agriculture, the whole deal, on-site education for all of our kids where they can run and play like we did when we were kids, you know, but like feeling, what, what did that feel like for me to run around, grab my mom, be like, get out of, and I'll <laughs> remove the F-bomb, but get out of the house. Don't come back until it's dinner time and stay within an earshot. You got to hear my voice. Mm-hmm. Okay, mom, we're out. And then we play all day and we come back starving. And we're not worried about someone grabbing our kids and taking them up the I-35 or down the I-34. We're not worried about that. It's to, to, to give that gift to my kids, mm-hmm. you know, something that's lost where now we just take bear to jiu-jitsu and a school and, and a play date at someone's house and all these things. And are always under supervision, you Sounds know, that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much more that freedom for him, but the freedom for me to walk through a walking garden and pick all organic biodynamically grown food and just eat berries right off the bush. I'm coming. You know? I'm oh coming. yeah, you are coming for sure. <laughs> a five acre crystal lagoon that is saltwater and has one one thousandth the chemicals of a, of a swimming pool where you can do stand up paddle boarding and uh, uh, kayaks that have the, you know, clear bottoms so you oh, can look down, you know? Heaven. like and, oh, it's, it's, It is. And he calls it home, heaven on mother earth. Mm-hmm. And like that, bam, that resonates with me like, I'm bald, but my hair is standing up on the back of my head. You know what I'm saying? Like that level of resonance is felt. And so that's, those are the things that I've been calling in, but whatever it is that you're calling in, it must be felt in order to make it reality. And then action steps too. It's not just the, I've really been feeling into all this money. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, fucking put your feet on the ground in 3D reality and make that happen. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been playing with a lot of this and, and it's, and it's awesome. I already know it's not a, <laughs> I yeah, already know done. that's happening. Yeah. yeah. It's done. And Dispenza talked about that too. The difference between intention and surrender when you're manifesting is intention is the thing that you're calling in and you feel that surrender is the letting go of how and when it shows up. 1000%. I preach this all day, every day. We got to get clear on what we want which that sounds simple, but it is shocking to me, myself included, how infrequently we do this. We really sit down and be like, what is the vision? What is the design? We can have a vague thing of like, oh, I want this product to be successful. Like Ziva Kids, right? It's coming out in February. Like I wanted to change a generation of kids' lives. So what does that mean? 
10,000, 50,000, 100,000 students? Like, is it in schools? Like, where, like, what is really the dream for this kid's meditation training? And so it's, what do we want? You're very clear. Like, I can see it. I can feel it. I can see that crystal boat. I can taste that water. I can see the kids playing. Like, you're so clear in it. I can immediately see it. And I can even see myself there. And it's and, and so we realize that, like, when you're clear on what we want and why we want it, like for me, it sounds like your big thing is for your kid and also for your own health and and sovereignty. Um, but what do we want and why we want it? When we start to get with the like when and the how, we start controlling it. And then we start looking at it through our limited left brain human lens. And we take nature's magic out of it. Again, like nature has more information than we do. So what we got to do is place our order with the cosmic waitress very specifically, especially in the beginning, when we start our manifesting career, and especially as we start a meditation career, our bank account's not super flush, right? So like the waitress <laughs> is like, she's good, she's proficient, but she's not a pro. So she's like a really hot little dumb waitress, right? You're gonna be like, okay, I want a Cobb salad. I don't want any bread. I want the dressing on the side. I want to make sure that the bacon is this, that, and the other. And I don't want any ice in my water. Like you got to be very specific with your order with the cosmic waitress. Once you start doing this stuff for a while, get some more money in your bank account. You can go to per se, you can go to the fanciest 10 course tasting restaurant. You just sit down and they just bring you shit. Right. You don't have to order at those restaurants. It's just like, oh, I'm sure the chef is going to do much better than I could. So just surprise me. Right. But you've done that's a level of mastery that very few people get to because it takes many years of placing the order specifically, knowing the what, knowing the why and surrendering the when and the how. Right. And so it's like if we place the order with the waitress, but then go back into the kitchen and try and make it, they're going to kick you out of the restaurant. Get out of here. It's not your job. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Talk, talk a bit more about what we're tuning into in this, in this meditation because, or, or, I mean, actually just expand upon this one that really stood out for me and and continues to stand out for me is that thoughts aren't the enemy, Mm. you know, and you did this on a diagram on a board and showed, you know, the, the dropping in and what comes up as, as a means for the stress detox, the accumulated stress detox. And I can tell you a very uh, personal story about one of my experiences in meditation where oh. I was in the party. Yes, so. please. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll get the groundwork for the concepts then I'd love to hear your okay. story. Okay. So the main thing is, is, like I mentioned earlier, thoughts are not the enemy of Ziva meditation. Effort is. right. So the mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So trying to give your mind a command to stop thinking is as impactful as trying to give your heart a command to stop beating. It does not work. And yet this is the criteria by which everyone is judging themselves as to whether or not they can meditate. It's why everyone thinks they're failing. It's why everyone thinks it's hard. I dedicated my whole book to anyone who's tried meditation and felt like a failure. You're not a failure. You just haven't been taught yet. It's an effing skill. Like why I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to speak Japanese for 20 minutes today until I took a Japanese class, why would you expect yourself to meditate? You know, you introduced me to a mutual friend last night, went to go meet him just for an intro. And he's like, so just give me some tips. Like, I'm going to do it tomorrow morning. I'm just going to sit down for like 20 minutes. <laughs> That's give, so me, give me some pointers. And I was like, no, I, was like, I can't teach you to meditate in 20 minutes. Uh, like, it's a full deal. It's a skill, right? And this is not a toy. This is a Ferrari. You want the keys, the Ferrari. I got to make sure you have the driving instructions, <laughs> right? So 
Anyway, thoughts are not the enemy. And actually the thing, the bubble diagram you were describing is me illustrating that in this particular practice, we use something called a mantra. And that word is very misunderstood as well. People think that the word mantra means like an affirmation, like I'm a strong, angry woman, or like, I am good. I'm good enough. I'm funny enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me. Um, but those are affirmations and affirmations are great. I sometimes use them when I work out. I mean, there's power in you know shouting the thing across the canyon and having it reverberate back via your cells. But mantra is actually a Sanskrit word. Man means mind and trap means vehicle. And so when we talked earlier at the beginning about the de-excitation process, about the mind going down and accessing this deep rest, the thing that induces that is something called a mantra. So what we, do, we use in Ziva, they're meaningless primordial sounds. And the whole point of them is the sound quality that de-excites the nervous system. When you de-excite something, you create order. When you create order in your body, this lifetime of stress that we have in our cells can start to come up and out. When that stress comes up and out, it starts to excite the nervous system. And then the mind starts having thoughts because that's what, that's what mind activity is, thoughts. So the cool thing here is that when you're having thoughts in meditation, if you have a tool that's designed for you, if you have some training and you know what you're doing, then thoughts during meditation are actually an indicator that stress is leaving the body. It's not an indicator that anything's going wrong. It's not an indicator that you're a failure or that you can't meditate because you're thinking about work. It's just your body releasing stresses. And once you understand that, once you have that permission slip, the whole thing becomes infinitely easier. Because then you're like, oh, thank you and goodbye. Thank you and goodbye. You understand it as the catharsis that it is versus feeling unnecessarily like a failure. Yeah. And this, it's, it's because it's impossible to get rid of them. It's kind of like it's, a, it's truly, impo- it's not impossible to stuff down emotion, but you have not cleared that emotion. It's still fucking there in the closet. Yeah. Right? You're going to have to cut it out in yeah, a couple of years. So like a big lesson plant medicines have taught me is actually to sit with it, to process it, to look at it. You know, like the Buffalo medicine is to go shoulder to shoulder with your herd into the storm head first, because that's the fastest way through the storm and to not turn away and not try to outrun it because it just stays perpetually right next to you the whole time. And, um, in the processing of emotion, just like I had talked about with all the fucking anger that I experienced after the bliss state out of left field, it was that because of your teaching the understanding that, oh, this is going to happen and it'll likely happen again. And it's not good or bad. It just is. Right. And as soon as I come to terms of that, I can let that flow from me mm-hmm. and it might take all day, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, and, and it's th- actually an indicator that your body feels safe enough that you've now let your body know like, Hey, I can give you access to true bliss, true fulfillment in the only place that it resides, which is inside of me. And once your body knows that, you actually feel safe enough to let go of that anger, to let go of that sadness, to let go of whatever it ha- whatever happened to us as children that we did not have the tools to handle at the time. Now that the body feels safe enough, it can start to release that. Yeah. And, and pairing that with the thoughts, you know, like it's been so easy for me to shift from, I mean, there, there, there hasn't been a single meditation yet where I've judged the thought or the thinking mind. Right. And that is, uh, it can't be overstated compared to my lifetime of trying this beforehand, you know, and, and there are, you talked a bit about the, this will pertain to the story, but you talked (laughs) about these five issues that will come up throughout the course of, of the meditation of the Ziva practice. Uh-huh. And so I want you to unpack those because okay. I've had, a, I've had a couple different ones, but the the fifth one, the baseball bat, that was always how I used breath work. You know, like if, if, if the thinking mind came back and I caught myself thinking and, you know, just, or I'm really going to feel this inhale in the nostril now. 
you know, and it'd be like some loud, audible fucking inhale and exhale through the nose. Meditate harder. Yeah, full <laughs> lungs now. I've been going, you know, half lung, real, real nice, and then it's just <laughs> idiot, you know, like <laughs> instead of just instead of just being in a state of allowing, and it's such a different feeling. There's grace in that. There's ease in that, you know, and and that's a that's a all of these things, whether it's uh, mushrooms or ketamine and right set and setting, of course, um, to Ziva, they're microcosms of the macrocosm. So when Bear is being a wild animal and acting like some of the other students in his class and has picked up some bad habits, it just is. It's not what is wrong with you? I can't let you fucking become this shitty person that you'll be at 50 and no one will like you and you'll never have friends and you'll lose every job. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not here now. And you're just five. That's okay too. (laughs) Right. I was a dick when I was a kid. Like, yeah, I can remember (laughs) that. Yeah. And this is the syllabus. If he doesn't push the boundaries, you don't have the opportunity to teach him. Mm -hmm. And the best way I can teach is by showing up in a way that mirrors what I want from him yeah. as opposed to telling him and forcing it down his throat and whooping his ass or any of the ways we try to control our kids yeah. and show them the way by not living or being the way. Instead of just healing ourselves. Yeah. This is yeah. the whole thing in Ziva Kids. It's like mostly I'm training the parents. I'm like, look, if your kids are stressed, it's likely because you're stressed. Right. And so actually there was a study out of Yale where they had kids that were having pretty intense anxiety. And so they didn't even treat the kids. They only put the parents in therapy and 90% of the kids' anxiety reduced. They didn't treat the children. They only treated the parents' shit and the kids got better. And so even though Ziva Kids is a kid's meditation training, it's like, I'm really telling the parents like, hey, you got to clean your own house. And it's as you were talking about so beautifully, I love how invested you are in your parenting. It's an opportunity really to reparent ourselves. Right, that we get to have the compassion and the boundaries and the love and the understanding that maybe we didn't get at that age and to heal ourselves as we're not even healing them, but just letting them unfold. Yeah. Will Tegel taught me that. Dr. Will Tegel's out in, in Wimberley. He's written eight books. He wrote Walking with Bears when he's 77. He's worked with Native Americans and he's a, he's a true elder in every sense of the word. Mm. But he was talking about that. He has a PhD in psychology as well. So modern science meets Native American wisdom. That's mm-hmm. Will Tegel. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, you know, from Jung's standpoint, all of those selves that we've lived are still with us. Mm-hmm. And even though we have no ability to change the past per se, every self is still in me. So if the seven-year-old who got it not the way, that that seven-year-old self is healed in the way I respond to Bear's seven-year-old self differently than happened to me, right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that may sound like hocus pocus, but when you live it, there is no doubt that 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 mirror is mirrored as within, so without. And we have those opportunities with our kids if we treat them as our teachers Mm -hmm. and we understand that, oh, wow, I do this, this, the, all those memories do get to be reimagined as I, as I work it out differently with my children. Yeah. And I think that even for people who aren't biological parents, you can still reparent yourself. And I'll actually share a technique that's pretty advanced, but I think valuable and powerful, no matter where you are in your journey. And conceptually, it's just this idea that as you uplevel your state of consciousness in the now, which is what meditation does by healing that stress in your cells, you change the lens through which you see your past. And if you change the lens to which you see your past, you are changing the past, right? Like if I like myself now and I'm happy with where I am in life now, I can look back at 
sexual abuse or my father's alcoholism or my dad passing away from cancer when I was 24 or any of the shit that's happened in my life and be like, oh, because of that, I am resilient. Because of this, I am who I am. Thank God that happened because I like who I am and where I am now. If I'm not happy now, I don't like who I am and where I am right now. I'm going to be looking at my past, looking for all the things that needed to change and all the people I need to blame. We're still in victim mentality rather than co-creator mentality. 100%. So that shift in the now will by nature change your past. And as you change the lens through which you perceive the past, you do change the past, which automatically up-levels your state of consciousness in the now, which up-levels your future. So it becomes a sort of infinity loop, right? You up-level the now, up-levels the past, up-levels the future, and it becomes this beautiful upward spiral. So what I would recommend, especially for people who do already have a practice, and if you don't, you just go to (laughs) zivameditation.com. We have an online training. Um, And after you sit and meditate, you once you've accessed, you know, de-excited the nervous system, I would recommend, you know, spending five minutes, doesn't have to be a long time, and go back and visit an earlier version of you. It could be a specific event, or it could just be you at five, eight, 15, whatever it is, and just go sit with yourself. You could see yourself like on the front porch of your childhood home, maybe even walk through every room of your childhood to kind of get you back into that mental space. You know, and sit with your your five-year-old self and just say, hey, you know, would you like me to hold your hand? Would you like me to pat your back? Like, what would feel good to you right now? And and ask them, like, how are you feeling? What's coming up for you? And then just communicate whatever it is you feel like you would have loved to have heard at that age. Hey, you're not alone. Hey, you make it out of this alive. Hey, this is not your fault. Everyone is doing the best that they can with the tools that they have, and you're not doing anything wrong. And this is going to make you so much stronger whatever you feel like that little version of you would have needed to hear. And again, that might sound a little hippy dippy, but it, it is profound. I have led many people through this exercise and done it myself. And it, the ripple effect of this can be massive and it doesn't have to take a long time. Yeah. And coming at, at it from the, in the wake of touching unity, in the wake of clearing so much, it's such a powerful state to engage with yeah. the past or the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such it's, a power. And same with manifesting. Because mm-hmm. just like you said, the manifesting is all about feeling good. So if you manifest after the meditation, it supercharges the practice. It's like, it's why sex magic works because you're taking the pleasure of sexuality and physical pleasure and you're moving that towards the intention of what you want to create. So sex magic is just like Ziva meditation, but on crack, right? But you're just, you're flooding your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin in the meditation portion. And then, imagining the what and the why from that space of feeling good and imagining it as if it's happening now. We did a whole podcast with Jamie Wheel, which I'll have Jose link to in the show notes. And I want to send you because his next book that comes out early 2021 is all on that. Sex magic? Yes. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Great. Super pumped. I'm so, so glad. Dive into these five possible obstacles that most people run into. Okay. And then I'll give you my my story of how (laughs) so much has come through. (laughs) Okay. So the five things that happen most commonly in the mind of a meditator, I don't even call them obstacles because three are correct, two are incorrect. And uh, so the first is the thought train, right? You pick up the mantra, you think it a few times, it slips away, and then you're off on a trail of thinking. And this blows a lot of people's minds. They're like, wait, if I'm just sitting there thinking the whole time, it's really meditation. And again, if you have a tool that's made for you, and if you have some training, then yes, just sitting down and trying to meditate with no training likely is going to feel like your parents putting you in timeout when you were a kid. And you're going to have more resistance to it. So there's thought train. Second thing is the party. So that's where you have like the mantra and the thoughts happening simultaneously. And what I recommend is that folks, and you could even use this with breath work, whatever tool you're using, that becomes your guest of honor. 
And you just see all the thoughts as either invited or uninvited guests, meaning the invited guests are the thoughts that we enjoy. The uninvited guests are the thoughts that we do not enjoy. We've got the bliss field, uh, which is sort of like mantra, mantra, mantra. Oh no, I think I was supposed to be meditating. Mantra, mantra, mantra. And you realize that you're off, but there's this little space of time there where maybe you were sleeping or dozing or something. And that's what I call the bliss field, right? Where you move beyond the realm of thinking. So you've moved beyond the realm of time. And a lot of people think that this is the point or the goal, but I, this will be on my tombstone. We meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation, right? No one cares if you're a good meditator. No one cares how long you're in this other state of consciousness, even though it feels nice afterwards. It's not the point. And the more we try to access it, the more effort we use, and then we mess it up. So the fourth thing that can happen is contemplation, which everyone's very familiar with, where you're problem solving, you're writing the email, you're doing the spreadsheet, you're doing your taxes. And that's fine up until the point that you realize that you're off whatever technique you're doing. And then you float back to the technique. And then there's the baseball bat, which is just like, I don't like these thoughts. I don't like these sounds. I'm just going to munch, munch. I'm going to breathe harder. I'm going to focus harder. And then you start, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like efforting, which if this practice, Ziva is based on something called Nishkam Karma Yoga, right? Then you efforting and trying to get rid of the thoughts is uh, again, not the deal. All right. I'm going to tell you about, I love that. And I've done, I have experienced all of it so mm-hmm. far. Yeah, whether in the past or in, I haven't failed yet. So but yeah, doing, yeah, doing really good with it. But um, I think it was after it was one of the one of the sessions we were in, and we were talking about our morning meditation, and CT was talking about. So when you wake up in the morning, it should be the first thing you do, ideally, right? And you can, if you need to go pee, you need to have some water, but then you sit before you get on the phone, before you engage with anybody. And CT was waking up super hungry. And so he's like, well, but if I eat, then that might change the neurochemistry. And he's like, well, oh God, uh, let me just have this little cutie then, right? So little, he, little, he, yeah, little he, orange. Yeah, he has he has the little cutie orange, and then he gets his meditation on. And so the next the next morning after that, and I, it's funny for me because it's it's and I don't this may be the case all fucking winter, but it's like whatever's underneath the surface comes up, and because we've been listening to Christmas songs since uh since halloween basically that always comes up in the in the meditation uh-huh. it's like ring ring ding ding ling ding 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 do do lovely weather for us sleigh ride together with you yeah giddy up giddy up giddy up let's go let's just sing carols the rest of the podcast that would be dope christmas carols with kyle and emily and uh and so that came up but it was funny because that that hadn't come up in the morning meditation, but what came up in the morning meditation was a story you had given about the JJ Virgin event where you walked on a stage (laughs) because Adam was like, can you do, can you do a high kick for us? And you're like, well, I would, but I don't have any underwear on. So I'm not going to make that mistake again. (laughs) Spoiler alert. I rarely wear underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Neither do I ever. And, uh, you gotta, they gotta, you gotta freedom down there, right? Let it, let it breathe. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Let it breathe. (laughs) And so you're talking about at this event, uh, you know, the dance music comes on. You're like, all right, I'm going to fucking get it. You know, you got a mini skirt and you're like, well, if I position myself this certain way and I throw the high kick as I come out, then no one in the crowd will see. But the cameraman was with the perfect angle for the full frontal Just right as you're at the high kick. The, high, the photographer was like crouching on the side <laughs> of the stage at the direct angle of my high kick. <laughs> so you had mentioned this story before also. And 
of course, what comes up for me because you are super attractive is that in the meditation is me watching you throw the high kick, but I'm the cameraman. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh shit, I haven't been horny in a meditation before. Like this is, this is fucking awkward. And then I think about CT's um, orange thing and I'm like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't. And then I mantra, mantra, mantra. And I go back in and then giddy up, giddy up. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Right. So like that comes in and then all right, mantra, mantra, mantra. I get back down. And then the very next thing is me seeing you back on stage, but you're in like a hot Santa's little helper outfit. And I'm like, if I fucking keep going through these cycles, like I'm going to have to fucking eat the little cutie, which is me rubbing one out right now. And then going back. But the, the same thing you'd mentioned, like that little bit of sugar might kick up the neurochemistry. I'm like, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm taking care of myself, I'm not going to be in a position to meditate. Thankfully, through all of the struggle of that, I was able to find the bliss field and at least clear the mind, whether the bliss field is the goal or not. I still got to that because I was able to just really not judge any of it, understand it. Like, yeah, it's morning time and I'm fit and I wake up ready to go as most men do when mm-hmm. they take care of themselves. And so like that, that may be something that gets recycled. Just like, you know, there, there may be other emotions that come up throughout this experience uh, over the course of three months, three years, 30 years. Yeah. There's going to be some more shit, but it, it was just, it, it was funny to me. And as I, as I appreciated it and acknowledged it, then it no longer was there. You know, <laughs> that was wearing keep a Santa's helper outfit. Oh yeah, super hot and throwing the high kick. And I great. still had the, the the right angle. It was great. <laughs> so this, let's talk about this because a lot of people, one, judge themselves for having thoughts during meditation. And a lot of people, when they start meditating, like these energetic channels get unlocked in the body and we unlock the root. And then the second one is the sexual chakra. And so you're a couple of days in, so it makes sense of that energy starting to come up to that point in the, the shushunya, which is like the main energetic channel in the body. And so a lot of people then feel like, oh no, there's something wrong with me. And like, we've been so like shamed about sexuality and pleasure in our Judeo-Christian like backgrounds. Like, well, I shouldn't be having thoughts at all. And I certainly, certainly shouldn't be having sexual thoughts, right? And it's like, well, actually this is about feeling good. It's about unlocking these energetic channels in the body. And a lot of people have, like they get aroused in the, in the meditations. And then they're like, is this okay? Is this, what, I, is there something wrong? And it's like, no, just go for it. Like just enjoy the sensation and know that things are, are healing and it's all good. And I would argue that as those things get unblocked in the meditation, that's one of the reasons why your sex gets better in life. Because stress is not doing any of us any favors in the sex department, right? It like kills your drive, your body's in fight or flight. Last thing it's interested in is procreation. So I actually find it as like a good marker of physical health. Yeah. It's funny when you say like your sex life improves, but I'm just thinking of back, back to my college football days at Arizona state with mountains of cocaine on the weekends. And, and it didn't, it didn't matter if I had the hottest woman in front of me and a table full of Viagra, if I had done blow, I'm locked into my survival chakras. I'm locked into fight or flight. Like I couldn't get it up, save my life on that bad drug, you know? So, Mm -hmm. but that you take that experience into just everyday stress. Mm -hmm. Everyday stress will make me not horny at all. You know, it's not, I mean, I'm sure I could override that if, if, you know, there was well, a lot of people are overriding it. Like they're so and stressed and then they're going yeah. to like porn or vibrate, like really intense porn or vibrators, which is, you know, I'm recently friends with Layla Martin and she's this amazing Tantra teacher and she's really anti-vibrator and anti-porn. 
Meaning that she's like, we have all this stuff inside of us. So we have the, just like with meditation, you're waking up this beautiful internal pharmacy. So you don't need as much external stimulation. Same with sexuality. It's like, if we really unlock this stuff and have access to our full energetic capabilities, we don't need as much external stimulation. And like, just like drugs, okay, okay, it's fun to use a vibrator from time to time, or it's fun to like do this thing with my friends, or I'm really, I want to have this download for a specific reason versus like, well, I'm doing cocaine every day to get through my work day, or I'm drinking coffee all day because I can't stay awake because my sleep sucks. My hands up. <laughs> Wait, what coffee? No. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, but the, you're weaning down. No, I'm, I'm good now, but I'm saying in the past I've been, you know, full pot modafinil, the whole deal. Yeah. And, um, one of the callings to me through plant medicine and without is just the, the, the fact that I can't access deep rest in meditation or a nap if I've chemically jacked myself up, right? Mm-hmm. So even if the opportunity presents itself, we're like, oh, cool, I got a two-hour block and I can actually rest today. And then I try to sit and it's like, oh no, am I like resting heart rate's 130 right now? You know, yeah. like that's- <laughs> Yeah, because the, the caffeine's disallowing you from feeling tired. I gave a talk at the Google headquarters once called Why Meditation is the New Caffeine. And the quick science on this, which I think is interesting for folks, especially if they're feeling addicted to caffeine and don't feel able to meditate, like you just said, is that caffeine is not giving you energy. It's it's disallowing your body from feeling tired. Caffeine is molecularly very similar to a chemical called adenosine, which is uh, what your brain produces to tell you that you're tired. So because the caffeine is blocking your adenosine receptors, your brain is still producing that sleepy chemical. So when the caffeine leaves, there's a backlog of the sleep chemistry and it floods back in, which is what the crash is. So for the same amount of time that it would take you to make the cup of coffee or go to the Starbucks and get the plastic cup and put it in the recycling bin of the ocean, you could meditate and create sustainable, self-sufficient energy where you're going to have feel better and your sleep is going to be better. So it's going to become a flywheel of upward spiral versus like, oh, now I have the crash. Now I need more caffeine. Now I can't meditate. Now my sleep is worse. Now I've actually hijacked my um, brain and my adrenals are on overdrive. Do you know I mean, so it's not cost-free and I'm not saying don't drink coffee, right? Some people, I think for you, like a small amount of coffee would be very good for your nervous system. For me, it's toxic because we have very different doshas or body types. So I think you've got to listen to your own body. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what, for me, you know, I've, I've talked to different people about this. I've, I've working at on experimented with every nootropic known to man. Caffeine gives me more access to my language and memory than damn near any of them. Wow. And paired with, you know, some organic tobacco, that's the most effective one-two punch. And then there's alpha brain, there's other ones. Uh, Purpose, as I've been advertising on here, is my favorite by far. But the point is that there, there seems to be something that, that I can't reach necessarily on the podcast in terms of my accessing language and really able to communicate what I have going on inside without caffeine. Well, it'll be so interesting I've, to see what happens as you start meditating. Correct. Right? Like as you start to increase this neuroplasticity, like over time, like we'll, we'll see. And you talked about that too with this, um, you know, the 20 minutes really resulting in four or five times the level of rest of sleep. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, okay, we'll see about that. And, you know, the, I've, I've had bear up at 3 a.m. I've had him come in at 5 a.m. I've had him come in and wake me up uh, quite a bit throughout the art since we started the program. And I've still been able to meditate twice a day. And in that I have a ton of energy and I've also still, you know, I'm down to a, 
a almond milk latte where yeah. you know com- and you compare that to modafinil in a pot of coffee that's a big difference it's yeah, a huge difference congratulations yeah and, and I'm, you seem I'm, really bright and shiny I mean your eyes are sparkly your energy is clear keep you're talking always so bright <laughs> you're especially sparkly right now and the fact and i know you've been getting up at four or five in the morning for the past many days so it's really impressive yeah, it feels good. And it doesn't feel, you know, there's no like mid-afternoon lull. And when I'm ready for bed, it's very easy to go to sleep whenever that is, whether that's 8.30 on one night or 9.30 or 10. It's it's just it. my ability to access rest is waiting for me. Mm. There's no trying when I go to lay down and sleep at night. Yeah. You know? I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, Shit, there was a question I had in my head and now it's not there. After hyping caffeine and its ability to get me access to every thought. <laughs> I think we went off track when we went to the Santa's helper. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Hmm. Let me think here. Why don't you uh, just speak, some Christmas speak carols? about anything that you want to speak about that we haven't covered yet? Um, <laughs> I've okay. never said that on a podcast. Talk about whatever you want to talk about right now <laughs> while I think of the next way to take I'm this conversation. happy to. Okay, I have something I want to talk about is time. So Mm. we've talked about thoughts. I think the two biggest barriers that people have to meditating is one, they think they have to clear their mind. Like, well, I can't do that. I can't sit still. I can't clear my mind. And the other one is time. They think, well, I want to meditate. Everybody's talking about it all day, every day. I know the neuroscience is in, but I just do not have time to meditate. And so the reason why people think they don't have time to meditate is that usually they're doing like the apps of the YouTube videos and they're, they're spending their time versus investing their time. And so the reason why like, I tend to work with such high, high achievers with Ziva is that people are interested in maximizing their time. It's the most valuable thing we have to give and you can't get it back, right? You can make more money. You can you know, have more partners. You cannot get your time back once it is spent. And with Ziva, you're not spending it. You really truly are investing it. So with the online course, you know, we did 20 minutes because we did the live, but with the online course, you graduate and it's 15 minutes twice a day. So that's 30 minutes, right? And people like, they don't have time. The first one, like, let me see your phone. How much time you spent on social media this week, right? And it's like, oh, three hours a day. I'm like, really? You don't have 30 (laughs) minutes to meditate and make your whole effing life better? Um, So that's one. But two is if the thing that you're used to is like, you feel fine on the other side, but you don't, your sleep is not better. Your productivity is not higher. Your intuition is not stronger. um, You don't get back hours of productivity in your day. Then like, of course you don't have time. And so that's why I'm, I'm really trying to figure out, like, how do I linguistically differentiate? How do I let people know that this is not a pedicure for your brain? This is not a bubble bath. This is actually a thing that is going to make you more productive. You're going to make more money. You're going to need less sleep. You're going to get sick less often. I love it. Well, if for anybody watching this on YouTube, which is about uh, 5% of the podcast <laughs> listeners... Um, <laughs> You've seen me jot something down here. So I just remembered what I wanted to bring up. Great. Um, and, and, and you're right but on time. Like it's, 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 and it's one of those things where when you feel like Wim Hof says, feeling is believing. Don't take my fucking word for it. Just do the damn thing. Yeah. And then when you feel different, you'll know it for yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, yeah, that's like you'll the difference, look at your own right? ring. You'll look at your own sleep data. You'll see, oh, my REM is higher. Oh, my sleep latency is lower. Oh, wait, I haven't gotten sick since I started. I stopped biting my nails. And then you don't have to believe me anymore. Yeah. You don't have to take your word for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Or my word for it. And th- that, um, what that 20 minutes in the afternoon does for me is I don't need caffeine and how I show up at you know, that is my best self for the people that I'm around. Cause generally I'm done working 
pretty early in the day, like three o'clock. So when I'll go grab bear from school, I want to show up at my best then. I don't want to mm-hmm. limp into that with him going hundred miles an hour and try to match, you know, it's like, let me mm-hmm. show up as my best self. And that's been, that's been completely there. Expand more on the detox. Cause this is a word, you know, it's, it's, you got people there, there are, we live, we, I mean, shit, I don't even know where to go with this, but I wanted to, to focus on a particular person who is, is, you know, the, the food scientist or food, sci, the sci babe, you heard of her? Anyways, she's, she's, uh, she went out and had a, uh, a shit-a-thon with the food babe over sugar being toxic and went into what toxicity actually is and that sugar's not toxic and all that. And I was like, I think, all right, this is, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of steering in the wrong direction here. What she means is too much sugar will cause problems outside of just weight gain. Right. And it is addictive as addictive as cocaine and heroin. It's a big deal, right? Sugar addiction is a real thing. Um, but the point is detox is also some of these, one of these words that gets thrown around a lot like toxicity, which most people say, you know, like, well, what are you actually detoxing? And then somebody like her would argue there is no real science that says glyphosate or some of these things is actually hurting you. And it's, I'm fucking, I couldn't be further in a different camp from that. We live in a toxic fucking world. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's not enough to just drink enough water and have, you know, your electrolytes, like we have to sweat, we have to move, we have to ground ourselves in nature. We have to put good things into our body, good inputs and good inputs doesn't stop at food. It stops at everything we consume with our attention from the media, the social media, whatever's programming us needs to be of like mind. It needs to be something that's actually giving and making us more whole than when we started. So when you mentioned detox from meditation, that was probably the hardest piece for me to grasp. And obviously having spent the day in anger, I get it. But talk about some of these other things that happen from the body detoxing on a cellular level, because it is a physical felt experience. And it really blew my mind how immediate the detoxing is and still will be quite likely (laughs) lying ahead for me. Yeah. Yeah. You might have a few more layers to move Mm -hmm. through. Actually, so yesterday I went out on a friend's boat on Lake Travis um, with a friend who was also in the course and he had, against my advisement, he had like a little bit of nicotine, a little bit of caffeine and then went wakeboarding. It was pretty cold and he had never wakeboarded before and so he was like figuring it out. So it's like, and he like snapped his shoulders. We got into a little bit of fight or flight and adrenaline and then the water was kind of, it was like, you know, it was an, an adrenaline inducing experience. It was usually fun. But if you're on day three of a thing where your whole nervous system is recombobulating and every stress and trauma you've ever had from your whole life is coming up and out, and then you throw yourself in like a cold adrenaline-inducing thing for a while, like it can be pretty intense. And his body started like tremoring for like a long time. He got mm-hmm. back on the boat and he was tremoring. And it wasn't, it looked like he was cold, but he wasn't cold. We were trying to like warm him up because that's what our, you know, just our initial thing was, but it was just, that's how his body was releasing. You know, that's what animals do when they get stressed or scared, they shake, they shake it off. And it was fascinating to watch. And it was pretty intense for like 15, 20 minutes. And it started to get, I'm not scary because I've, I've seen, you know, I've taught 40,000 people to meditate. So I've seen almost every flavor of this release, but this was definitely acute and intense. And then like an hour later, he felt great. And so it was just so fascinating. Like he just let himself fully process it and release it versus some people would suppress that 
for decades. Like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And that's what most people are doing is they don't have the tools to really surrender or to fully have the catharsis. So we're just trying to hold on and maintain. And what the meditation does is that it makes the catharsis non-negotiable. It makes the feeling non-negotiable. So whatever's inside you is gonna get squeezed out. So if you have sadness inside, you're likely going to have some sad flavored stress coming up and out. If you have some anxiety inside, you're probably going to have some anxious flavored stress coming up and out. And and what I try to do, and I probably overworn in my class, is like, hey, this is not, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with the practice. This is just part of the process. This is part of the healing phenomenon. And, And just like the Khalil Gibran quote, it's like the darkness carves out space for more light, right? The pain carves out space for more joy. And if you allow yourself to fully be with it and let whatever wants to come up and out, come up and out, that is the thing that's increasing your container for bliss and fulfillment and consciousness. And so because so many of us are trying at all costs to avoid discomfort, we are prolonging our suffering. So we have to be willing to bravely move through the discomfort in order to get through to our full potential, our full bliss. And the, and the good thing is that with the meditation, with this practice in particular, it's not, you don't have to force it. It's that your body feels safe enough to release. So what's happening scientifically is that the mantra is like a vibration. Okay. So if you were to do like a sound bath or um, like, you know, our friends have these like opus, opus. You know, like the meditation beds, which I'm curious to hear about your experience, <laughs> but like it's like a vibration, it's a frequency. So your body is, it's like changing you cellularly. So the, the opus, the meditation beds is doing that extra, like from outside to in. With Ziva, the mantra is doing it in turn, inside to out, right? And so we know that sound can be healing. If you listen to an oboe versus listening to nails on a chalkboard, it's going to do different things to your body. And so with these particular frequencies, you're de-exciting the nervous system. When you de-excite something, you create order. When you create order in your body, this lifetime of stress we've all been accumulating can start to come up and out. Nature did not intend for us to be sick, tired, and stressed all the time. That would be mean, and nature's not mean. It's just that we're, to your point, we're not acting in accordance with nature anymore. We're eating food that isn't food. We're not in the sunshine as much as we need to be. There's toxins everywhere. And so this is just an opportunity for us to come back to homeostasis, to let the body come back to function as it was designed. And because most of us have a backlog of stresses accumulated in the beginning, there's a bit of a floodgate. And that's my job, by the way. That is my job as a teacher is to help people through that process. It's why it's so important to learn with someone that you respect to not just like, I mean, apps are fine. If you just want like a guided thing, if you want, it's like TV kind of, you know, TV thinks for you. Meditation, the guided stuff is like meditating for you. And a lot of people think, oh, well, I like guided meditations, but that's only because they don't have the skill yet. But once you have the skill and this true healing begins, it's important that you have some guidance and a community around that because it can be scary. You know, nobody wants to feel their stuff. Yeah, There's billions of dollars of industry making sure we don't have to. It's like, it's, it's like having the, you know, I think one of the main differences between how people work with medicine in the Amazon with a black belt, a lifelong practitioner that understands the before, middle, and after and the integration aspects. Um, versus, you know, the self-guided mushroom journey, which can be awesome. I've had many of them, but like, where does that leave one in the wake of the experience and processing? If we don't have a community of elders to lean on that understand exactly where you're at right now and how to move through that, how to, how to surrender to that and how to alchemize it. Mm-hmm. It's a big one. Um, Robert Moore talked about that in the beginning of King Warrior Magician Lover. He talked about like, we can have the temple, we can have the the set and setting, we can have all the things for our initiation, 
But if we don't have the wise elder to guide us, we are missing the most important ingredient in that initiation. And I think that, that having experienced ayahuasca 26 times and hundreds of mushroom ceremonies and ridiculously high amounts of mushrooms in one sitting of all these experiences, um, this one in particular does stand out. This one in particular with you has stood out because of the fact that- To be clear, is, we were not doing mushrooms. We were just no. meditating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just this, this form of meditation has stood out amongst all of them. They all have a seat at the table, but but this might be at the head of the table because of the fact that it is allowing me to process stuff regularly at interval. And just like with ayahuasca or God, life itself, nature, whatever you want to call that, um, you you get what you need. And it, you don't, you know, in a single ceremony, you don't heal 38 years of shit, just like in a single meditation, you don't get that. It comes and layers get pulled off and, and, mm-hmm. and whatever's present. And sometimes it is just awesome. Like today, just awesome so far. And that's really cool. You know, so, so the ebb and flow, there's plenty of ceremonies where it was just awesome. And there's been ones where I was, you know, on the can the whole time and <laughs> letting go of a lot. And, <laughs> big purge. Yeah. Big Different kind of purge. purge. So um, I just, I, I love access. Right. And that's something why I've I've continued to talk about float tanks and breath work and all these different tools, because the greater our medicine bag, the greater access we have to our own healing. And mm-hmm. this is such an invaluable tool to me because once you know it, you have the key. Once you know it, you have access and it can be mm-hmm. done anywhere. And it's I'm I'm sold. It's incredible. Yay. Absolutely. Thank you for highlighting this, which I say this word all the time of self-sufficiency. Like one of the things that makes Eva so special is that we're training people to be self-sufficient. But the thing is, that's not, it's terrible marketing language because no one, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I want? I want to be a self-sufficient meditator. No one sees the inherent value in that. But if you start to see like you did, where it's like, oh, I can do this anywhere, anytime. I now have the keys to the kingdom and no one can take them away from me. And I have this until the, for the rest of my life. And you really see it as a process and a journey and a gentle, gradual unfolding. And the, and the, oh, the other thing is that the benefits are cumulative. I mean, the longer you practice, the higher and higher states of consciousness you're in. And it doesn't, you know, I still think, I still do plant medicine sometimes. And there, I think there are, they all, like you said, they all have a seat at the table. But with a lot of external things that we reach to, there is oftentimes a cost, like a physical or chemical rebalancing or sometimes a a monetary cost to it too. Whereas with meditation, you know, while I do think it's important to have an investment upfront so that you have skin in the game, the physical cost on it is really just your time. I mean, the initial detox, once that's done, it's like, it's only pro, it's only additive. You're only increasing neuroplasticity. You're strengthening your corpus callosum. You're increasing the size of your hippocampus. You're balancing out your endocrine system. You're balancing out your hormone system. So it's it's like, it's not, whereas sometimes you go and do, you know, MDMA, you've got the serotonin depletion. You do, I mean, mushrooms, I actually don't know what the downside are of mushrooms. I don't think there's any downside to mushrooms when used properly. Right, true. Okay. Uh, and even stacking. So for the mm-hmm. folks that are wondering, I mm-hmm. think- um, I think science will come to show that when you stack a tryptamine-based psychedelic like psilocybin, LSD, I wouldn't do it with this with ayahuasca, obviously, but DMT falls into that. Specifically psilocybin, hippie flipping, it's what the kids call it, right? Mm-hmm. MDMA and mushrooms or candy flipping, LSD and mushrooms, or LSD and, and MDMA rather. When you have MDMA with a tryptamine like psilocybin or LSD, I feel 
zero lull the next day. Really? And that, you know, I use Sam E and vitamin C and all these other tactics, you know, five HDP at night, these kind of things. They're just completely unnecessary hmm. if it's stacked with psilocybin. Interesting. Um, and that's a, an amazing experience at Burning Man as well. So for all those that are gearing up for the next one, when we finally get to go back, God willing, um, that is an awesome one. Talk, you, you touched on this a second ago, and this is where I was going to head next. Talk about this, this math of the, back, the backlog, okay. because this is brilliant. And this is exciting for me because most people in our scientific materialistic society can see things through numbers, statistics, the, the science, the data shows this, you know, and it's like, all right, sure. And, but, but when you bring the spirit side to the math and you talk about what this is actually doing for us, that really resonated for me. Cause it was like, oh, that, that is why we detox. That is why my neck feels better. That is why a lot of the stuff that has accumulated for 38 years. And even though I've been tracking it, I haven't been eliminating it. So mm. I'm aware of it. My consciousness has expanded to a point where I can see what the effect that it has. And I know what stress means, but I didn't understand like it is, a, it has already made its way into the physical body and there's no amount of massage or anything else is actually eliminating this mm-hmm. until now. So let's, <laughs> let's talk about the backlog. Yeah. This is great. So I will start by saying this is art math. It's not math math. It's, it's meant to be illustrative versus like, this is not like hard science. But I think, <laughs> but it, it does the point of illustrating the backlog of stresses versus the increase of consciousness that can happen. So here's the math. As you wake up on Monday morning, you pick up 10 units of stress, Right. You go to sleep Monday night, sleep is restful enough to burn off seven units of stress. So you've picked up 10, sleep burns away seven, wake up on Tuesday, how many do I have left? Three, right? Now I pick up 10 on Tuesday, now we have 13, sleep away seven, 13 minus seven, we're waking up on Wednesday with six units of stress. Pick up 10, burn off seven, wake up with nine, 12. 15, 18. And most of us have been doing this our whole life. Sleep is not a restful enough form of rest to handle the demands of modern day life. Then we start meditating. Here's the math on that. Pick up the same 10 units of stress because I'm very sorry, but meditation doesn't take away all demands. You know, your mother-in-law still exists. The traffic is still a thing. (laughs) Um, So picked up 10, meditate away three in the morning, meditate away three in the afternoon, that's what Ziva is. It teaches you twice a day practice. So you picked up 10. Meditation burns away a total of six. You only have four left. Go to sleep Monday night. Sleep burns away seven. Four minus seven. Wake up on Tuesday with negative three. Pick up 10. Burn off a total of 13 with the meditation and the sleep. Wake up on Wednesday. Now you're at negative six. Pick up 10. Burn off 13. Negative nine. Negative 12. Negative 15. And we just keep doing this bit by bit, day by day, meditation by meditation, until we've gotten rid of the entire backlog we've ever accumulated. How long does that practice take? About seven to 10 years for most people. (laughs) Most people are like, hi, I was looking for the two-week program. Isn't your course 15 days? (laughs) Um, And yes, it's 15 days for me to make you a self-sufficient meditator. It's 15 days, 15 minutes a day for me to give you the keys to the kingdom. But it takes some years to unwind the decades of stress that we've been accumulating. And then, you know, the reason why we don't just do once a day is that it's like calories in, calories out, right? It's like you pick up 10 units, meditate only once a day, and which burns off three, sleep away seven. It's like pick up 10, burn off 10, pick up 10, burn off 10. And then you're in that maintenance program, which is a slippery slope to quitting. And most people are like, yeah, I tried meditation. It didn't really work for me. One, they never got any training. Two, they were trying to do monastic practices. Three, they were only doing once a day. So we weren't really seeing this marked change in performance. 
And I love jumping headfirst into something too. It's like, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. You know, like I'm not going to set my cold tub to 50 degrees because that's in between land. Like I want this in the 30s and happy medium be- between where I want it and where Tosh wants it because I'd have it at 32 or 33 and she wants it at 40. So we got it at 37. But cool. either way, you know, when you're in a 37 degree water, right? Especially if you're naked or in a Speedo, well, especially naked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like all the little bits, you get the, get the cold just, just as hard. Um, but there's a concept. I mean, I've been from all the people that I've followed out on the podcast. One of the concepts that came up was from Paul Selig in that, you know, his teachings on anything you damn damns you right back. Mm. And uh, any, anyone you hold in the cave of darkness, you stand right there in the cave, because if you've got an arm on them, holding them in the cave, you're, you're right there with them. And this is expanding upon how we release judgment, the importance of that forgiveness and expanding upon self into the, through the illusion of I'm different than you. And sure we are right now in these bodies, but we are all one and, and all in each in our own perspective of God. If we are all one, then that goes back to the do unto others as you would do to yourself because you are doing it to yourself. And anyone I hold in that position of judgment, blame, resentment, I am doing to self, right? And I think, you know, with the divisiveness of the world, forgiveness is a key missing ingredient Mm. and it starts with self. Mm -hmm. And this work, in my opinion, is burning karma. We might think of karma as the wrong deeds we've done to another, but there is no another. There is no other but self. And so as I've been really processing that in the meditations, I think of that as doing the work. And it's not spiritual bypass to say like, as I heal myself, I heal all the wrongdoings I've done to another person. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying it is pulling people out of the cave. Mm. And that is pulling myself in turn out of the cave Mm. as I do that work and heal that. Mm. And that to me is like connecting so many dots from the books that I've read over the past few years. And really it's like, I'm on fire from it. Yeah. Thank you for bringing up forgiveness because it, I mean, besides meditation, I think forgiveness is like the mother skill of emotional practices. You know, if I've not done it, but all my friends who've done 40 years of Zen, you know, with Dave's thing where you go mm-hmm. and you do the neurofeedback, apparently the main thing they're practicing in there for the five days, 10 hours a day that they're in there, it's forgiveness. And, and I've seen my friends transform from that. And you're on a lie detector test being like, do I really forgive myself? Did I really forgive that person? And I actually have a pretty powerful forgiveness audio. I can send it to you if you want a link in the show notes. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the link is right now, but it's it's really good. Um, you can go and you can see someone else at three, someone that you want to forgive. And you see them at three years old. You see them at 93 years old. And then you see them in the now and you forgive them at each of those stages. Because it's way easier to forgive a three-year-old, mm-hmm. right? Like you can forgive Bear much easier than you can probably forgive your partner or your coworker because you see that they're making mistakes and they're doing the best that they can and they're learning and changing so quickly. But why do we stop affording that grace to people that are the same age as us? And someone at 93, like, well, they're going to die soon. You know, what does it really matter? Let me just forgive them. So you like, you take the whole spectrum and then you forgive them. And then the hardest one is obviously to forgive yourself. Um, but I'll send you that that audio. I'm happy to to share it. Um, and I found that, you know, if you want a little bit of the, the neuroscience on this, of why this practice helps with the forgiveness piece. Yes, please. And, and especially with, like you said, the divisiveness and the separateness. So when you start meditating, you activate a part of the brain called the dorsomedial prefrontal cortex. Dorsomedial prefrontal cortex, which is the piece of the brain that processes information about people who we perceive as separate. You're black, I'm white. You're Republican, I'm Democrat. You're gay, I'm straight. Um, separate. 
you also activate a part of the brain called the insula, which is the empathy center of the brain. So that's important that those things are activated. But what's more exciting is that the dorsomedial prefrontal cortex and the insula start to become connected to each other. So this means that you start to have more empathy towards people who you perceived as separate from you, right? So I might not agree with you, but I can see that I am you. You are me, right? And so it's easier for me to forgive you. It's easy for me to see myself inside of you and you inside of me. And that's not just like a, oh, I have to get myself to think this. It starts to become your visceral experience because you're rewiring your brain to change the filter through which you're perceiving everyone and everything. Also, if we want to get a little more hippy-dippy and esoteric, according to the Vedas, there's only one thing and we're all it. There's only one thing and we are all it. And that one thing is energy, right? And, and so to me, like if you had to encapsulate the entirety of the Vedas into one sentence, it would be that the one became two for the joy of becoming one again, right? That we bifurcated, we forgot that we're God for the joy of remembering that we're God, for the joy of falling in love, for the joy of having sex, for the joy of seeing great art, for the joy of tasting great food, for the joy of creating inspired art, it's waking up that divinity is so exciting because we're remembering our true nature, which is that unity of that thing that we were born out of. And forgiveness is touching that, right? Because we, we, it's just a fast microcosm of, I thought you were separate from me. I was blaming you. Now I'm forgiving you. It feels so good to me. It's probably feeling good to you. And we're healing both of ourselves and we're reminding ourselves that we came out of the same thing. Hell yeah. Mm. Yeah. And again, I'll, I'll recommend initiation because the visual is really cool on Gaia and the first, the first nine are just that they are the, the monad or unity consciousness, which is the Tao, the, the, the feminine void, the, the pitch blackness of that consciousness. That is all of us pre-manifestation, um, infinite possibility, infinite probability, infinite, infinite, anything that can be expressed within that field. And the expression of that was to know thyself, know thyself as individuals, but it was the whole thing saying, what can I become in Matthias's word? And from that thought, duality, and then from there, Trinity, and he goes through each one. They're only 25 minute episodes, but the way he was explaining it really resonated because he's speaking a second language and it's broken English. And it's so plain and to the point and mm. beautifully stated that it's like, oh yeah, all of this resonates. And the, the highest points from a 5-MeO-DMT trip or any of that is when I remember that. It's when it's like, oh, yeah. And I don't just remember saying yes to experience and to, to know myself in different ways. I'm saying yes to everything, the whole backlog, as a way to know thyself, as a way to experience life in different ways. Mm. And, and that is a complete reframe on trauma. It's a complete reframe on any of it. Um, because there is an inherent yes in life design from us. Like there, every one of my experiences, this is hippy dippy, but every one of my experiences that came around my kids was the full understanding that we choose our parents. It's not a fucking accident. As much as we don't want to believe that, we pick them, the time and the place that we come in. And that was made pretty viscerally with Wolf's arrival, our little girl who took four years from when we started trying to show up. Mm. Um, and she's born on the full moon on 4th of July, you know, mm. like here we are. So um, those experiences, but the, again, the visual of that, if, if any of this is 
counterintuitive to what you were taught growing up, which most certainly was for me. Mm-hmm. I think that initiation is beautiful. Obviously, second season gets into aliens and all sorts of shit that's way out there and maybe too much for you. That's fine. You can leave it at the door with season one, but it's um, it's a beautiful expression of all of the knowledges. And Paul Selig stated that there are gems in every religion of solid truth with a capital T. Our job is to find those gems when we're looking, right? Because there's they're buried in the mountain of what society has done to bastardize the truth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you look at that as on purpose or not on purpose, doesn't really matter. It just means that, that um, as we expand our consciousness, we can begin to see those gems in other cultures and other ways of viewing God and other ways of understanding what nature is. Mm. Well, we are an hour and a half or so in. Is there anything you want to leave people with around Ziva. You've talked about the kids program that's coming out in February. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to release like right after Thanksgiving. Are you running any deals for yeah. Cyber Monday? We <laughs> are actually. Are talk- yeah. <laughs> so, so what you did was the live course, but you know, I'm not really teaching live right now. And so the, I'd say our most popular training is Ziva online. And it's cool because you can do it from the safety and comfort of your own home. It's only 15 minutes a day for 15 days. And you do learn this technique. It's mindfulness, it's meditation, it's manifesting. It builds on each other. You get monthly coaching calls with me. There's a beautiful community of people online. We're in 111 countries. And um, and yeah, we're doing like a Black Friday, Cyber Monday thing, which is zivameditation.com slash online. And I would, I mean, if, if this is sounding exciting, it's just like, there's literally no reason to not do this. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it will be like, it will change everything. As you change your brain, you change every cell in your body and every decision you make for the rest of your life. Like we've got to stop thinking of meditation as like a, a bubble bath for our brain and start to see it as the most important piece of mental hygiene that we must be practicing. The other thing we came back to again and again in the course was like, I'm not going to stop showering because I don't have time because I don't want to smell. It's rude. It's gross for me. It's rude for the people around me. Same thing with meditation. Like you might be busy, sure, but you want to do this so that you feel better and to be kind to the people around you. You owe it to your family, to your coworkers, to your community to show up as the most inspired, beautiful person that you can be. And it's like, I think it's the least selfish thing you could do. I love it. And I love you. Thank you so much, Emily. I love you. Thank you for Uh, shining so bright. Any social media or anything like that that you want to mm-hmm. shout out? Yeah, I'm all over social. It's just at Aziva Meditation on Instagram. We do um, global live streams every Tuesday at six on Instagram and Facebook. We have a thing called the Ziva Community on Facebook. And those are pretty great if I do say so myself. It's just like a, it's 30 minutes of teaching, lecturing on whatever's up and then a 30 minute like global meditation. We'll sometimes have four or 10,000 people. Like I just think it's cool to have that many people meditating together around yeah. the planet Earth. Hell yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. 